Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is, this is the reason you don't let the president testify. Uh, if, you know, every, our recollection keeps changing, or we're not even asked a question, and somebody makes an assumption. The court and the Congress are not simply bystanders to an out-of-control executive. That was written by Donald Trump Jr., and, and I'm sure within consultation with his lawyer. They said he wasn't involved. Everybody around the president, they're such liars that we can't go in front of Mueller. He certainly didn't dictate, but, you know, he, like I said, he weighed in, offered suggestion like any father would do. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man with the absolute power to pardon himself, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. That assertion from the president this morning was just one of the powerful signals we've had over the last couple of days that we're headed for a legal showdown and quite likely a constitutional crisis. On Saturday, the New York Times published the full text of a memo written by the president's lawyers in January arguing, in essence, that he's above the law. They contend that because the president is in charge of the executive branch and cannot prosecute himself, Robert Mueller's inquiry is invalid and can be terminated at whatever time Trump chooses. So why did this memo leak now? Evidently because the president's lawyers decided it was a good time to leak it. The special prosecutor is at the point where he needs to put Trump under oath about collusion and obstruction of justice. And the president's lawyers understand that if Trump testifies, he'll either admit a felony, perjure himself, or most likely both. That leaves only one way out, the argument that Trump's executive authority gives him power over the investigation and that executive privilege means his testimony can't be subpoenaed. They're making the case in public because they're seeking political support for it, not really legal validation. If Trump defies the special prosecutor or fires him or thwarts him, he needs a solid red wall in Congress to avoid impeachment. So what's wrong with the president's argument for executive immunity? I'll be back to discuss it with law professor Jed Sugarman right after we do the tweets. Is the special counsel slash Justice Department leaking my lawyer's letters to the fake news media? Should be looking at Dems corruption instead. As only one of two people left who could become president, why wouldn't the FBI or Department of Justice have told me that they were secretly investigating Paul Manafort on charges that were 10 years old and had been previously dropped during my campaign? Should have told me. Paul Manafort came into the campaign very late and was with us for a short period of time. He represented Ronald Reagan, Bob Dole, and many others over the years. But we should have been told that Comey and the boys were doing a number on him, and he wouldn't have been hired. 
there was no collusion with Russia except by the Democrats. When will this very expensive witch hunt hoax ever end? So bad for our country. The appointment of the special counsel is totally unconstitutional. Despite that, we play the game because I, unlike the Democrats, have done nothing wrong. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Joining me on the line is Jed Sugarman. He's a professor at Fordham Law School who's been writing about the president's legal jeopardy for Slate, among other places. Jed, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Very nice. Well, you know, we joked that last week was Law Professors Week on Trumpcast, but I, I think it's now Law Professors Month. It may be Law Professors Forever and while well, this president <laughs> is in office. And while he continues to make the, these extraordinary claims. I think, you know, we were hoping for a, a, a Trump-free weekend. You never really get one. But this weekend, there was a real bombshell uh, when the New York Times got its hands on this memo, which was supposed to be confidential, like a lot of things, that the president's lawyers sent back in January to the special counsel arguing that he doesn't have to testify and that he can't be subpoenaed. I mean, first, what do you make of that that broad claim coming from John Dowd, former lawyer for Donald Trump, and Jay Sekulow, who is still a lawyer for Donald Trump? Well, it's a, it's a really remarkable letter on two two areas of executive power. One is this, uh, is an assertion of of sweeping extreme executive power as a as a constitutional argument. Really, a very extreme version that is really has been rejected by the Supreme Court uh, and it, it goes too far. But then on executive privilege, and I think this is really what the what most of the letter is is addressing is an argument that. Uh, Mueller is not entitled to an interview because they are able to provide uh, all of the answers to Mueller's questions um, with documents and writing. And so they go through step by step to explain why these different questions that Mueller may have are either irrelevant legally or have already been addressed by all the documents they've handed over. Um, the problem is that those documents only raise more questions uh, and, and validate why an interview would be important to ask follow-up questions to those documents. So, Jay, you're sort of distinguishing between executive power and executive privilege. Let's talk about the executive power argument at the, at the beginning. There is something called unitary executive theory, which is a conservative legal view, which I, I've never understood in detail, but it essentially draws very firm lines around separation of powers, right, and says the president has a lot of power and nobody can interfere with it. I mean, is that basically what's being asserted here? 
That's basically the, the question that's being asserted, and the answer and the theory. Um, and the Supreme Court's rejected it. I mean, the core question that unitary executives often try and address is the idea that the president should be able to fire anybody in the executive branch. And they say that quite explicitly here, Jed, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, they, they, in, yeah. the, in this memo, they say the president can fire the attorney general, and he, they say he can end an investigation. He can order an attorney general to say, stop an investigation into somebody. That's right. It's right there in the letter making those assertions, and there are a number of problems here. Um, so the Supreme Court's rejected uh, this argument before by a seven-to-one vote in a case called Morrison versus Olson, and conservatives have been trying to rehabilitate that one dissent, coincidentally by Justice Scalia, <laughs> who they want to say is, you know, basically has more power with his one dissent than the other seven justices. Um, and their argument is is really undercut by history and uh, and is just really an extreme version that doesn't fit our constitutional system at all. So the, basically the idea in this executive power argument is that because the Constitution gives the president a power, the president can use that power how, however he wants, and Congress can't limit that power. And that's just incorrect. Uh, for example, let's say the president was bribed to fire Comey. Uh, let's say Rebecca Mercer. Well, I'm not suggesting that this was the plan, but let's just say hypothetically, let's say a, a billion dollar, a billionaire donor wanted to be um, FBI director. Um, president Trump could not fire Comey for a bribe. Clearly, there are criminal statutes that limit the use of executive power. So if Congress can pass bribery statutes, that limit executive power. Uh, so too can Congress pass a general obstruction statute that applies to everybody and also applies and also limits presidential power. But the, uh, so, the scenario uh, you you raised, Judd, it gets into this question: Could the president be prosecuted for breaking that law, or could he only be impeached? I think um, many of the lawyers who we've had on the show have looked at this question. And think, no, he of course he couldn't do that, but the remedy for it would be impeachment. It wouldn't be a criminal prosecution. Well, two questions here. One is. Um, it's, it's relevant for impeachment, even though I, and Trump cast has done a great job fleshing out this question of can a sitting president be indicted and, and what, what does a high crime and misdemeanor, what, what, how do we define that? Um, I think it's important as a legal and a political matter that when we're talking about high crimes and misdemeanors, we put it in the context of, of um, statutory crimes, mm -hmm. even though some statutory crimes aren't high crimes and some high crimes aren't statutory crimes. Uh, it helps to understand that what Trump was doing here was actually a felony yeah. in, in several different places. So I think it informs both. And I also think it helps to understand what, Mueller, what powers Mueller has over co-conspirators. So if there was felony obstruction, uh, then other people who were involved along the way and that's quite a few people, um, could be indicted as co-conspirators. So that's why it's, it's very important to be able to explain why these different um, acts were felonies, uh, to be able to, to explain why Mueller has power to interview Trump himself and the other, uh, and indict uh, co-conspirators. So we'll get into that obstruction question in just a minute, but I want to ask you a little more about the executive power, executive privilege question. They do raise the executive, they use the phrase executive privilege in this memo, citing this Clinton-era uh, case about Mike Espy, a name that will be right. uh, un uh, forgotten by by uh, all but the most uh, trivia-minded uh, political observers from the 1990s. But wh what is executive privilege and what executive privilege are they asserting here that, that would allow allow them to say, uh, no, we don't have to testify and you can't make us or 
Can't make right. Com- well, there are d- different facets to executive privilege. I want to focus on just what the letter uh, and mm. how this ex- this version of executive privilege frames the letter. So they cite this case you mentioned about SB from the Clinton era, and they say that the president must, quote, demonstrate with specificity why it is likely that the subpoenaed materials, here his testimony, contain important evidence and why this evidence or equivalent evidence is not practically available from another source. So that point, the, the point of the letter is to go through step by step and say, uh, we have provided everything you need uh, from another source, from documents. You, you don't have the grounds to interview Trump, given his executive responsibilities, given that you have um, equivalent evidence and equivalent sources. And so that drives the letter. I do want to say, one before we move on to this executive privilege question, I do want to just emphasize how the Trump administration has undercut the executive power argument uh, with, with its own hypocrisy um, about the, the separation of powers. So it's very convenient that they have this unitary executive theory about how Congress can't touch the president. You know, they say Congress can't touch the president with obstruction statutes and Congress can't protect Mueller's office and protect Mueller from firing. Um, and they, they even say in this letter, uh, uh, Trump just tweeted, Mueller's office is uh, unconstitutional, right? Uh, on the other hand, when uh, Trump likes what Congress is doing, he endorses it. So for example, uh, the, uh, the Tea Partiers who wanted to hold um, sessions in contempt, that, is, uh, that would run against the unitary executive theory that they wanted, that Congress should be able to control sessions and even potentially uh, put sessions in jail, or um, how they how they uh, the Trump lawyers endorsed uh, Nunes's subpoena and interfering with the DOJ and the FBI. I mean, one might even suggest that they have have so uh, contradicted this theory in this letter when they've endorsed congressional interference that they're basically stopped uh, from from making these uh, these totally contradictory arguments. That's a great point, Jed. So the, the president is saying, the president's lawyers are saying he has total power over the executive branch when he's unhappy with what they're doing. But if Congress is going after the Justice Department or the FBI, he's happy for them to have all the power they want. Exactly. Asha Rangappa and I put together that, that argument um, in the middle of that DOJ fight um, and that meeting uh, with Rosenstein uh, and Chris Ray with uh, with Nunes. Um, and it, it just, I think, the fact that they, that they gave Congress that latitude to interfere um, with the Department of Justice and the FBI when it was convenient, I think should be clear evidence that, the, that they don't really believe what they're saying. They don't really believe in the unitary executive. Shocking. I mean, if you read this memo, they're trying to have it both ways from sentence to sentence. But the, I want to get back to this point about uh, the assertion of executive privilege right. and the SB case. Uh, I mean, isn't it reasonable for the president to say, or the lawyers to say, the president is a very busy man. If you're going to subpoena him, it has to be the last resort. That is, you have to have tried to get that same information every other way first. In fact, Justice Department guidelines say that about subpoenaing journalists in cases that have First Amendment implications. They say, you know, only as a last resort can you subpoena a journalist. There's no other way to get the information. Yeah, I think the case is correct. I mean, I think from, you know, from what I've read of the, this SB case, I think it's correct about uh, um, the executive branch and, and uh, trying to be careful. I mean, I think we also have to you know, make sure the shoe always fits on both feet, right? Uh, that there is something that is um, a distraction about having a, um, an interview with the president, and especially in a criminal case. I mean, I think it's important to see why this, why this matter is more, interferes more deeply than even the Clinton 
the matter in Clinton versus Jones, um, which was civil litigation. Uh, a criminal investigation has greater consequences, and also a criminal trial has uh, takes away uh, much more time um, than uh, than civil litigation. So this is very serious, and it's important to protect executive privilege. But I think what's clear in this from this letter is that there are only more questions uh, that prosecutors would have to ask Trump directly, not just about these bare facts asserted in the letter, but ask him what his intent, what was in his mind. You know, when he was firing Comey, there are so many factual disputes of Trump said this to Lester Holt, Trump said that to in the Oval Office to Lavrov about you know th- that there that there was great pressure and he's taking it off. Well, there may be a factual dispute about what. Trump meant when he said those things, but that only shows more clearly why this last resort of an interview is important to resolve this factual dispute of interpretation between both sides. And it's important because he'll say any damn thing he he pops into his head during an interview, but under oath, presumably he will be somewhat more circumspect about telling the truth. (laughs) One one would hope. (laughs) Jed, in this letter, there's, there's a somewhat startling admission that the president dictated Donald Trump's letter about the famous Trump Tower meeting uh, in which the Russians were were offering dirt on Hillary Clinton, uh, the letter in which he claimed that it was a meeting about adoption, which it was which it was not. You say in this Slate article uh, that went up over the weekend that this is an admission of obstruction of justice. This letter looks like it might be even a kind of smoking gun. Why why so? Um, the way that Trump's lawyer's letter describes the statement um, is it it was a short but accurate response. Um, So first, let's just review what Donald Trump Jr.'s statement was to the New York Times about when news broke about the Trump Tower meeting. He tried to explain it this way. Um, It was a short introductory meeting. We primarily discussed a program about adoption. There was no follow-up. Those are the those are that's the basic statement there. Um, and the problem is that that statement that Trump Jr. gave is false, right? The as we now know from Donald Trump Jr.'s emails, it was not primarily about adoption. They didn't primarily discuss adoption. In the 16 emails that went back and forth in the setup of this uh, of this meeting, they discussed getting dirt, you know. Uh, sharing incriminating evidence that, that uh, they have about Clinton, but not one of those emails mentioned anything about adoption. Um, it's also not clear that there was no follow-up, too. So there may be several ways that this was, uh, this was a lie. And it also is really important that Hope Hicks reportedly said at the time that Donald Trump Jr.'s emails will never get out. Uh, and also that Mark Corallo resigned um, after this episode, uh, reportedly because he believed that this had, had crossed the line into obstruction of, or at least gotten into the zone of obstruction of justice. And he's actually talked to Mueller since then. So the He was a is, lawyer and, and Trump communications official. Uh, right? He's actually not a lawyer. He worked in the DOJ, but, but okay. he, he's been around lawyers enough uh, to know obju- what, what obstruction might smell like and might look like. So, so that raises, I, I think his instincts were right, um, because there's a... Now, let me explain what the statute is. It's, now, it turns out that the Trump lawyer's letter um, ignored the fact that there were other obstruction statutes that are relevant. So the one that's relevant here says, quote, whoever knowingly uses intimidation, threatens, or corruptly persuades another person or attempts to do so or engages in misleading conduct towards another person with intent to influence, delay, or prevent the testimony of any person in an official proceeding, that person is subject to jail uh, or a fine. So the point here is that um, it, it, this letter admits, you know, concedes for the very first time that Trump 
dictated this response to Donald Trump Jr. Uh, I'm assuming that the dictation that Trump gave was reflected in the actual statement that his son provided. Um, and if so, uh, it means, if just looking at the statute, that uh, the president did indeed um, corruptly persuade another person, his son, um, with arguably, right, with probable cause to think that it was intended to influence Donald Trump Jr.'s testimony. Now, some people have said back, oh, you know, you're exaggerating the significance of a statement to the media, and the letter says this. This is just a private matter with the New York Times. I think that is, is really misreading um, and is, is disingenuous about what was actually happening in this meeting with Hope Hicks and Mark Corral. They were mapping out their strategy, both a strategy as a response to the New York Times, but this was going to be their message. And when Hope Hicks says, well, the emails will never get out, they're saying that this is going to be our narrative. This is going to be our version of events. And keep in mind, Mueller's already been appointed. It is um, clear, it's obvious that we're headed towards um, congressional testimony, grand jury, or, or trial proceedings for which Donald Trump Jr. would be giving his father's version of these events. So the, the point here is that this rises to the level of, of obstruction of justice as witness tampering. Um, I'm using my standard for interpretation here as probable cause, because that's the mm. standard for an indictment. Uh, and, and that would be also the relevant question for why uh, Mueller would be interested in, 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 uh, in interviewing President Trump. But probable cause, I think, is established by what we see here um, in these events and in this letter. I mean, obviously, it, it looked bad, so they lied. But for it to be covered by the statute, you have to you have to hit this corruptly persuading uh, mm-hmm. term. That's my first question. That that sounds like bribery, not t- telling your son say this to get keep yourself out of trouble, not just to protect me, but to keep yourself out of trouble. Well, the language of corrupt intent or corrupt purpose is in the obstruction statutes generally. So, so the all of the this is a big challenge for any prosecutor trying to prove either bribery or obstruction, is how do you prove corrupt intent? How do you prove a corrupt purpose? Um, but let me just say for the purposes of the next steps, right, the, that, that's a question for which you'd want to interview Trump, right? That, so, so I think it only, uh, to, to be able to prove corruption means that you need to have a live interview with the person who, who uh, dictated the statement or the person who fired Comey, uh, because that's, that's how you get at the, uh, the mens rea, the mental element, in this case, um, corrupt intent. And it could be corrupt intent if he was merely trying to keep his son out of jail or out of legal jeopardy, even if he wasn't trying to pr- protect himself, right? Oh, yes. It, it's, uh, first of all, it can be corrupt intent if you're trying to protect someone else. It can even be corrupt intent, even if there's no underlying crime. So someone can be innocent, but still try and throw the prosecutors off the trail to try and make their lives easier. So, so that obstruction uh, covers a lot of ground. Uh, and, and lastly, official proceeding. They make a big deal out of this in the memo saying an FBI investigation is not an official proceeding. They didn't know there was an FBI investigation. It, what, what counts as an official proceeding? from the perspective of the statute. Right. So there's actually a debate. Uh, different, More courts have said that the, an FBI investigation counts, but there's a split on that. But I, I think that that's not quite as important as the fact that the Supreme Court just two months ago addressed this, that uh, an official proceeding doesn't have to be underway like a trial. It can be foreseeable. And it, this hmm. not only was, it was not only foreseeable that Congress or there could be a grand jury or a trial here. Um, it was foreseen, actually. It was looming as obvious. So, so the official proceeding under the recent Supreme Court cases covers this ground. Um, I do want to address something else, which is a, a, a question about why the lawyers made this 
concession, right? Why would they put this in a letter to Mueller and, and admit it? And I yeah. think what's going on is they're so worried about live testimony. They're so worried about an interview that they'd rather stipulate to something that's potentially incriminating and, and admit it so that they can go into court and say, look what we've already conceded. We've even admitted something here. That's a good reason why you know, we're so cooperative. You don't need, we don't need a live interview here. For, uh, Mueller doesn't need it because we've conceded it. And that might also explain the leak. I mean, the president's lawyers are the probable leakers. We have no reason to think Mueller's side has leaked anything. And this could be them lancing the boil, right? Put put this out so that it won't be a big revelation if they have to testify or at some later stage and uh, be made to look like the reason they wouldn't testify. I think that's right. I think we're heating up towards this question of a of a subpoena that gets fought out in court. Um, and I, but I also think that they're trying to put out uh, out there for not for a lawyerly audience, but for a general uh, Fox News audience, um, this extreme uh, executive power kind of argument. I mean, there is also look I, on the other side. I think there's a problem in this letter, which is that they also go after Rosenstein. They say that Rosenstein was a witness to the firing of, of Comey. He participated. He was an advisor. He edited the letter. They're putting Rosenstein in an uncomfortable position. And there really is a kind of turning up the heat on Rosenstein about whether he needs to recuse here. I do think there's a solution. I think given that, we're, that we see something playing out where they're going to suggest that Rosenstein is conflicted, rather than Rosenstein face firing for this conflict, um, there is a reasonable question whether Rosenstein should recuse himself from just the obstruction part of the inquiry. Uh, uh, and so that there's another, there's another acting attorney general down the line while he keeps the rush a part of the investigation. Otherwise, I think Rosenstein might be giving fodder to those who question the legitimacy of this investigation. And I think that's another piece of what the Trump lawyers are trying to do here is, 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 is you know, put pressure on, on Rosenstein as conflicted here as a witness. It's a legitimate, I have to say, it's yeah, a legitimate Yeah, it sounds like they, they kind of, they sort of have him there. I mean, he wrote this letter to Trump advising him to fire, fire Comey. He's not the guy who can be in charge of the investigation into whether it was obstruction of justice to fire Comey. I mean, there is something hypocritical about saying that what firing Comey was so bad it's impeachable and, and criminal, but that a person who was a witness to that could supervise the investigation and a person who participated in that could supervise the investigation. I, I think there's a very legitimate argument now, especially now. Yeah, there was before, but I think especially now that Rosenstein probably should recuse himself from the obstruction case. There are some risks there, but I think, it's, I think there's a legal problem. Uh, that needs to be addressed. And my, I think the solution is a fair balance. He recuses from just obstruction, but keeps the Russia case. In fact, the obstruction investigation has moved on along far enough that probably it's, it's, it's worthwhile to, make, to, to bolster its legitimacy. If Rosenstein does recuse himself in, in, in just on part or on the whole investigation, who does it fall to? Who is the new firewall against uh, authoritarian takeover? The, the next in line is, uh, is, it, is Solicitor General Noel Francisco. I think there's reason to have some concerns about him. Um, for example, uh, at the travel ban case, he, I think, misrepresented some statements that related to the Muslim, the animus against Muslims, uh, misrepresented some statements about Trump, and they didn't, after it was revealed, I, I, from what I understand, he hasn't corrected the record. So, um, and, and there's some, he's not a Rosenstein. He's not a career 
prosecute, you know, career DOJ professional. He's more of a, you know, he, Trump he, political a, appointee. He's a more of a, yeah, he's absolutely a political appointee, but really political. I mean, he comes out of right wing litigation circles. Um, I hear, you know, he, he's got a reputation as being a very smart guy, um, but he's also someone, you know, he, he gave a talk recently to the Federal Society for which media were disinvited. Um, that's not what a solicitor general should be doing. Um, this, so, so I think they're really legitimate concerns about, you know, for example, if Rosenstein were to be fired and Francisco were to be in charge of the entire investigation, I would say that that would be unacceptable. But I think that this is a, you know, a necessary risk. You know, someone po- as political as Francisco could at least cover the obstruction case um, while Rosenstein keeps the rest of the Russia investigation. Oi, that's all I have to say. It sounds like time <laughs> to do a show about Noel Francisco, someone we haven't focused on yet. Uh, and maybe you'll uh, be back to talk about that. I've been speaking to Jed Sugarman from Fordham Law School. Jed, thanks for joining me on the show today. So oh, happy to be here. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. That was him doing the tweets. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.